Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From the Gospel of John, Thomas said, I will never believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you all had a wonderful Easter last week. It was our first Easter egg hunt with Gabriel, so it was a lot of fun watching him around getting dinosaurs and goldfish. Uh, so we had a great time with that. And this, uh, this Sunday kicks off a short series for us, our little post-Easter series, about how our faith can move from this kind of abstract reality, right, this, this sort of, um, you know, out there in the sky sort of faith to a real concrete personal relationship with Jesus Christ that will actually shift the trajectory of our lives to move us in a different direction. And this morning, we're going to be looking at this personal encounter with Christ and the shift that follows it through uh, this gospel lesson about Thomas and his interaction with Christ. And uh, typically, as you know, we we refer to to Thomas as a as a pejorative, right? It's doubting Thomas. Everybody ever heard that before? We probably don't use that so much anymore, but we used to. Whenever somebody would be a skeptic, we might call them a doubting Thomas. And just as a brief aside, what's so fascinating about this to me, this part of Scripture, is how rigorously honest they were about the disciples. Could you imagine if somebody was taking notes on your life now, for example, and it were to be published in a book for millions of people to read for thousands of years? It could get kind of embarrassing. But for us, it's really amazing how honest the disciples were when talking about their own faults and failures and how we can see ourselves in those. And you can kind of imagine that St. Thomas is looking down on us from heaven right now and shaking his head and being like, guys, I made one mistake, okay? And you're going to call me doubting Thomas for the rest? I mean, seriously, I planted churches all the way to India, for goodness sakes. Well, This morning, when we dive into our passage, we're going to redeem Thomas's name a little bit, and we're going to talk about how we see ourselves in his doubt. And so, our two points for this morning are that Christ is not put off by our doubts, that those don't hinder him or stop him. And point two, an encounter with Christ changes everything. So, we're going to look again at our gospel passage that I just read, except we're going to start one verse earlier so we can get some context for what's happening. So, one, starting one verse earlier, let's look at this together. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that He had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Well, it seems as though Thomas was not the only disciple who doubted. Think about this. Mary had just come after seeing the resurrected Christ and said, I've seen him. He's back. He's here. And in the very next scene, that evening, the disciples are all kind of huddled together, locked in fear in a room. Clearly, they were doubting as well. They weren't out looking for Christ, were they? They weren't out proclaiming the good news of his resurrection. Instead, they were huddled together in fear. And this is interesting for us this morning. They were curious enough to gather together. 
They were interested enough to come together in the same room, but they didn't believe enough to act on it. Their lives weren't changed. It was not enough for them merely to hear someone else's testimony about Christ. They had yet to meet Him personally. And I think that's the situation for a lot of us at any given time, and that's certainly the situation for um, a lot of our friends who were so thankful for joining us last week, is it's, you know, it's, it's something to gather in the room together to worship God. And it's no small thing. It's a great thing. But there's an additional step, an additional weight of knowing Him that can actually shift your life in a new direction. For some people, our belief, our faith rests in, in smaller things or, or lesser things. It might rest in this idea of hearsay, right? For a lot of young people, their faith is only what they've heard from their parents. It's not their own yet. That's why we have confirmation. Or we might have some faith based on someone else's life change, but we haven't seen it in ourselves yet. Sometimes our faith rests in propositional truths, right? The concepts of good and evil, but it's not real. It's not personal for us. Or for some people, and I'm again, using some, some big words for us in the morning, at least they are for, for me without a second cup of coffee, but for some of us, our faith rests in this kind of subjective mysticism, the God of the golf course. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, people say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious, and it's kind of just this sublime feeling they get when they're experiencing nature or experiencing God or, you know, hitting a great birdie, like, you know, I mean, on the turn. I mean, you know, there's this feeling they get Maybe they're moved by music, but it's not, it's not God. It's just His work. It's kind of God's footprints, right, or His, His artwork that they feel, the shadow of God, but not the person. And so, there's, a, and so there's this feeling of God, but again, it's not the depth. It's not what's going to actually shift and change someone's life in a new direction. It's just a good feeling. It takes a personal encounter with Christ, the objectively real Christ, to actually change our lives, to move us in a new direction. Let's continue back in our passage. So again, they're huddled together, they're kind of in doubt, and they're shaky, but Jesus shows up. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said, them, said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And he said to them again, peace be with you. But look at verse 27. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, Scripture is, is truly fascinating. And the Scripture, there's nothing in Scripture that's there by accident. There's nothing that's in there that's unimportant information. It's very important that Thomas wasn't there. And some people say, well, maybe he was on a grocery run, right? Or maybe he was out hanging out with some other buddies. Well, that's, that's just not the case. If you read into Scripture he was willfully absent. He had chosen not to gather together and participate, and you have to wonder why. And here's where we, we kind of dig into this a little bit, and we start being curious, and we say, well, was he just a realist? And you all know what a realist is, right? It's a person who accepts a situation and is prepared to deal with it accordingly, right? You, you probably know a lot of realists. You might be a realist, you're not one of those optimists, you know, you're not just hopeful that something's going to work out, but you're given a set of facts, and you just kind of sort through them, and you deal with them. And maybe that was Thomas, right? No one, no one had come back from the dead before, so why would he expect to see Jesus? And maybe he just said, you know what, based on the facts, I'm not even, gonna, I'm not even curious about this. 
Or maybe, maybe he was a skeptic. A skeptic is one step further, right? A skeptic is a person who is inclined to question and doubt all accepted opinions, right? I think, I think we as a culture are becoming a bit more skeptical based on all the news floating around, right? We, we start to wonder and doubt everything anyone says. It's a little harder of a line than a realist. It's someone who says, I'm just going to assume you're wrong until you can prove it otherwise. And that's entirely possible. Maybe he heard the testimony of Mary and he just dismissed it out of hand. He didn't even consider it. He just said, that's impossible. I'm out of here. Well, let's continue. Now, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, and this is some strong language he uses, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and shove my finger into the mark of the nails and shove my hand into his side, I will never believe. The Greek word balo there is not gently place or put or touch. It's shove. It's strong language. And it appears as though he was not merely doubting. He was actively resistant to what they were telling him. He had a barrier put up against Jesus. He had a wall put up where he was not about to hear what they were going to tell him. Well, as we know, when, when an open-mindedness to faith, to faith moves to a resistance, to a wall, there's often a very strong personal reason for that, some woundedness, some difficulty that makes us say, I will never believe. And maybe you know people like this. These are the really antagonistic atheists in your life. These are the ones who say, I, will, I, will, I refuse to believe what you're talking about. They're not even curious. And this might have happened to you at one point. And this can happen in a bunch of different ways. For example, have you ever experienced a tragedy that was so great or so seemingly senseless that you doubted God's very existence, very personal woundedness? Or have you felt that God said no to your prayers one too many times, and you started to doubt whether or not God would act? Or perhaps it isn't God that's failed you in your own mind, but perhaps you have failed Him so many times that you've stopped praying and you've begun hiding from Him because you feel that you're unworthy of His love. And being distant from him for a time, you start to doubt that he, he's really there. There's all sorts of reasons that doubts can crop, us, crop up for us in very personal ways. But the great news for you and I and for Thomas is that God is not put off by our doubts. Rather, Christ pursues us through them. Let's continue. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Christ pursued Thomas in a very real and very personal way. He pursued him despite his resistance and despite his doubts. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Just like that, Christ showed up, and out of the, li the lips of a skeptic comes one of the strongest proclamations for the deity of Christ, my Lord and my God. You see, no one is so far gone, no one is so mired in doubt that the presence of God cannot reach them. No one is too far gone for Christ. And after this encounter, doubting Thomas experienced a radical shift in his life one that led him on heroic missionary efforts before his martyrdom. 
What's really phenomenal, and we, we find this through studying church history, that Thomas was one of the most active missionaries of all the disciples. In fact, he traveled, and again, this was, this was before any of our modern technology, he traveled all the way to India preaching the good news of Christ. His tomb, the tomb of St. Thomas, is on the southeastern edge of India in a town called Mylapore. And in India, there is the Malankara Church, which traces its lineage, and it's still active today, which traces its lineage all the way back to St. Thomas. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that remarkable how radically his life was shifted after an encounter with Christ? to travel that far, to put all of his priorities aside and give himself fully in devotion to Christ. Which brings us to our second and final point. An encounter with Christ changes everything. Uh, I spoke with Father Chris a little bit about this idea of Christ changing us in a very real and and deep way after we encounter him. And, and in Christianese, we call these testimonies, right? You've, you've heard of that. Like, a, you know, we think of testimonials for products, but, you know, we call these testimonies of how has Christ moved your life or changed the trajectory of your life. And one of, one of the greatest examples for me personally, and it is a personal story, is, uh, is about my grandfather. Uh, I was speaking to my dad about him a little bit earlier this week, and uh, my grandfather is one of those who had a, had a very late encounter with Christ in his life, and it shifted him in a way that all of us, all of his family can attest to. He was a hard man. Uh, he, he worked very hard, and he gave himself fully to his work. And uh, he attended, you know, church faithfully, but he never really bought in. It was kind of that thing you do, you know, out of tradition or uh, that thing that you kind of do to get your kids some religion. You guys know what I'm talking about? Get them some morals? Well, Late in his life, he was retired, and he was making a late-night trip to a local store, and uh, the way he recounts it, he pulled up to a traffic light, and it turned green, and the car in front of him did not go. And you can imagine he was thrilled about that. Has anybody here experienced road rage, right? I mean, come on, it's Vero Beach. You guys know what it's like to live here. Um, Well, he got incredibly frustrated, like beyond belief, and he's always had an anger issue, right? He's always had a strong anger issue. Well, you know, he said some, uh, some choice words and ripped around them and drove off, and as he had done a million times before, but this time something was different. A few miles down the road, he just pulled off to the side, and he felt this overwhelming sense of um, conviction. He's, what am I doing? I'm retired. I don't have any plans after this. Why am I in such a hurry? And then the moments of anger that kind of went throughout his life, his anger at his kids that would go off like that, his anger at his wife, his anger because of his job. I mean, he was just an angry, hard, bitter, resentful person, started popping up to him, and he prayed for the first time probably in a long time, God, do something with this. And nothing happened for a week. But a week later, he was at a campsite, and he was reading a book, and he just fell into prayer, and he felt God in a tangible, real way circle over him and surround him And it was such a moving experience to encounter God that he didn't speak about it for months afterward to anybody because it was so deep and profound and he was still sorting through it. Well, when he started to open up about it, his entire life changed. He moved from his retirement community to be back closer to town so he could give his life five days a week to volunteering at a local homeless organization in Orlando. 
He gave up his retirement of uh, casual golf to serve other people. He became kind. I remember him smiling at us, his grandkids, when we would see him. He hugged my dad and told me he loved him for the first time. And this life change continued to the day of his death. And it was remarkable, on his deathbed, people would come in and say, well, I'll pray for you, right? Because what else do you say, right? So they would come and say, well, I'll pray for you. And they'd go to walk out the door, and he would stop them and say, hold on. If you're going to pray for me, I only want you to pray one of two things. Either pray that God gives me a few more years so I can continue to serve him, or pray that he takes me home. That's it. I don't want you to pray for anything else. Just pray for one of those two things. And God took him home. You see, Paul got this as well, and he says something similar. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what happens when you have a personal encounter with Christ that shifts the trajectory of your life. There's a transformation that happens where all of a sudden your person, your priorities, the meaning and purpose of your life shifts and changes. And it may not happen overnight, but there's a trajectory, there's a change in direction, and God brings you along the course of that path. Now, when Father Chris and I say that Christ changes everything, that's a real broad statement. Would you all agree? Like, that's a broad statement. Um, and sometimes we can fall in the danger, I think, of saying so, trying to say so much that we communicate very little. And so I'm going to give you kind of there's more points than this, but I'm going to give you three brief points as we wrap up this morning of some specific things that can happen when you encounter Christ and you begin to know Him personally for yourself. One, you begin to experience two-way communication. Rather than having the great God in the sky that's an ATM, right? You just, God, can you give me this and hand me this and thank you for this? There's two-way communication that happens. Sometimes God begins to speak to you more loudly in a conviction of your sin. Sometimes God communicates more loudly in his, through His Word and Scripture. Sometimes in those silent moments of prayer, He speaks to you. Sometimes God begins to communicate to you through the circumstances of your life or through the people around you that speak His wisdom into your life, and you're more receptive to it. You hear it. Your blinders are off. And you can begin the process of life change. Two, you find yourself pulled into a stronger relationship with other Christians. We're all natural evangelists, right? You all talk about what you love. If you love golf, you talk about golf. If you love mo a movie, you talk about that movie. If you love a book, you talk about that book. You share it. You want people to share in that joy. Well, when you fall in love with Christ through knowing Him, you want to share that with others naturally. And it draws you closer to people who also want to talk about a shared love and that's Jesus Christ. Church becomes a place where you meet Christ in His Word, in prayer, in communion, and you experience that relationship. And then the last one, you experience actual spiritual growth. Maybe, maybe for you, like my grandfather, maybe your heart just grows softer. Maybe your priorities change. Maybe you find the courage to be more honest with yourself and more honest with others. There's all sorts of ways that Christ pulls us along in our journey with Him. So if you're here this morning and you can't remember experiencing His presence, maybe you've settled comfortably into your doubt and skepticism, and maybe there's a part of you that, that knows there's something more there that you just haven't quite attained, I would encourage you to seek, his, seek the assurance of His presence. 
that leads to a brand new life in Him. Don't settle for less. Let's turn one last time to John. Now, Jesus did many other signs, but these are written so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. May our belief rest on an encounter with Christ, and may we have new life in His name. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You promise us so much more than we would typically be used to in in coming into a relationship with You. God, we pray that Your presence would surround us and comfort us, create uh, a desire in us for growth, make us thirsty and hungry for You, and then feed us with Your spiritual nourishment. It's Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.